0: Our scripture reading today. It comes from the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6. There are Bibles in your pews if you'd like to look it up. Uh, the NIV in your pews is a little bit older than the NIV that I'm reading, so there might be like tiny little differences, just to heads up. but they're both the New International Version. So we're going to be reading from Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. May God's word shape us and form us.
1: Thank you, Erica. So we are in the final week of our Ephesians series and the second week of Advent. And for these final two um, uh, sections, last week and this week in Ephesians, we are kind of mingling it in with the themes of Advent. And I've entitled this sermon, Stand Firm, Prepare, and Be Woke. Um, But before that, I wanted to share a story. Back in those days... In the early 80s in Richardson, Texas, my first grade, when I was in first grade, six years old, it was a battlefield, the playground during recess. And the lines were drawn, the lines were drawn between girls and boys, right? Girls and boys, and in the playground, there was barely any grass, the grass was, Mourned away from all the playing and all the kind of rough housing that we did in the playground. And so it was mostly dirt and goat trails and gravel and sand. And so the girls would line up on one end of the field and the boys on the other end of the field. And we'd draw a line, right, in the middle. Draw a line in the middle and we would play Red Rover.
0: Do you remember the game Red
1: Rover. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jenny on over. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Davy on over. Um, The game, if you don't know about it, uh, everyone on one side, all the girls, would interlock arms. And they would call somebody out from the other side. So the first boy. And you can imagine it wouldn't be the largest boy. It would probably be the lightest boy, so they can stand firm. They'd lock their arms and call that individual out and that individual, that boy would run as fast as he could into the line. And the object of the game was to break that line. If the boy broke that line, then he'd get to pick one person to bring back into their line, into the boy's line. But if the girls held firm, then they would eat him up and he'd be a part of their line. Got it? So eventually it mixed up. But the whole point of the game is to hold firm, hold fast. Stand firm, stand your ground, not let your line break, and eat up all of the other players. And the strategy, there's a lot of strategy, right? You're like, what can we get away with while we're strong, right? Can we call the heaviest, biggest, fastest guy? If we win, we've got him on our team. If we lose, then we, they're going to take one of our great players, right? So Red Rover, it was a battlefield. And I was new to this school. It was my first few weeks, my first week. And me wanting to show off and make an impression, wanted to be really good at this game, be like an MVP, be someone that (laughs) the boys would be like pick first for other sports and stuff like that. Just make my mark in this school, in this new place that I found myself in. And so uh, Red Rover, I was really excited. I was like, call me, call me. On top of that, I was probably 30 pounds in first grade. Really, like, skinny. I looked like Isaiah, maybe even smaller. Uh, And uh, and so I was like, oh, they're going to call me, but I'm going to show them. When they call me, I'm going to show them that I'm not light. I'm not going to be like a rock in a slingshot and just be shot back. I'm going to break through this line. So Red Rover, Red Rover. Um. Send David on over. Sure enough, they called me, and I'm like, yes. I'm gonna show my skill, my strength. Even though I'm small, a small dog, I have a great bite. So I'm like, dun. the the theme song, the Chariots of Fire, is in the back of my mind as I'm running. Da na na na, da na na na, and I go, I come go to line, boom. And what happens? It goes. it's like a rubber band. I like, went and they completely clotheslined me. And I fell flat on my back, uh, so embarrassed. Um, but standing firm, that's an object lesson on standing firm and standing your ground. That a little playground <coughs> game played among kids is a battlefield, right? And in that battle, What's important in that game is for the line to hold firm, right? Because if you don't hold firm, your team will be broken. But if you do hold firm, you'll you'll win. And so in any game like that, in any battle or in any competition, you know that there's an opponent. You know that there's a force that is going, working against you or your team. You know the opponent, right? You know the enemy, and you're, you're prepared to take on the offensive of the enemy. You're prepared to defend against the enemy. And this is really important. And their strategy, right? There's strategy. And um, I remember Deidre. <laughs> Deidre was like, at her adult height and weight in first grade. <laughs> it's like She did her whole growth spurt in first grade. And she would just be like, you know, it, it was like one of those Braveheart movies or, you know, uh, like the Vikings, Viking shows, right? Shoot, whoa! The boys would be like, very me, hold. Send run over! And she'd be like, this running bull. We'd be like, hold, 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 hold! And we'd be like, in a bowling alley, right? Hit by a big bowling ball. Um, standing firm. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And if I were to give a quick recap of what we've gone through in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, God planned to create a new united humanity, a family that belongs to him, that recognizes his name. And says, Yes, we are sons and daughters of you, God. And this new humanity would take the shape, would take shape through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? And take shape through a united church under Christ. Where sin brought division and enmity between people, and there was hurt, wars, nations, tongues separated and divided. In our particular situation in the letter to Ephesus. Uh, the division, the walls of hostility between Greek, or Jew and Gentile, God's new humanity, God's new family would be someone would be a different kind of community, would be a new society that's reconciled and unified. And this community would form Christ's church that would be in harmony under the headship of Christ. God's new society was marked by radical inclusion and reconciliation. Because of Christ, the walls of hostility have been torn down and the two have become one. Jews and Gentiles have become one people. In the spirit, they're being built up into one body. In God, we are one family, Paul preaches. In Christ, we are one people. In the spirit, we are one body. One family in God, one people in Christ, one body in the Spirit. And Paul is very Trinitarian throughout Ephesians, right? You hear the Spirit, you hear God in Christ, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, We are family, we are body, one body, we are new people. And as God's new and reconciled society, we, the church, need to live lives worthy of our calling, worthy of this royal identity right? Because we have the, we are part of a new family, a new community, a new society, this requires a different way of being. Living a life worthy of this identity, worthy of the name of God written on our hearts. Um, and so we must be unified in our doing life with one another. But also in this unity, Paul talks about doing life together as a community and being unified in that. But also in this unity, Paul talks a lot about the recognition and the celebration of diversity, right? The diversity of gifts and backgrounds and tongues among us. Unity does not just mean uniformity, but there's diversity and true unity. Erica talked about that. Living worthy lives means living lives of purity as well. Casting out the old lifestyle, habits, and patterns before our conversions for the new life in Christ. Marked by compassion, sacrificial love, a life of justice, and holiness set apart for God. Don't live like that anymore. Live new. And then finally, uh Paul talks about in all our domestic and workplace relationships, we need to submit to one another and promote love and harmony. So unity, diversity, purity, and harmony—beautiful, right? We can all go home now. It's this happy <laughs> ideal, a beautiful vision, a beautiful vision. We're all in harmony. We're diverse. We're pure. We're living purely and. Uh, We're living in harmony, right? Unity, harmony. We can all go home. But Paul says not so fast. Mm. Finally. He gives his final words. Now that we've talked about how things should be, right? How we ought to live what God has done, the foundations of time, right? This is how we ought to live out our lives as the body of Christ. The reality is you live in the world right? It ain't done yet. And the world is hard. And the world is tough. And you know what? The battle line is drawn. You're in that playground again. And there's a line in the sand. And people are saying, or the saying is saying, Red Rover, Red Rover, send David on over. And there's, he's sending missiles, right? He's sending bombardiers. He's sending archers. He's sending soldiers and knights and whatever, tanks. And they're all coming at their castle walls. All the things that God has built up, the things that we as the church have built up to live in harmony, our beautiful, idyllic world of reconciliation, right? And goodness and mercy and compassion. There are bombs coming to tear whatever God has built up, to tear that down. And Paul is saying, you need to live in the reality of this, Right? Are you with me, church? Yes. It's like Eminem
0: says.
1: (laughs) Whoop, there goes gravity, back to reality. Or is it back to reality, whoop, there goes gravity. Not so fast. Not so easy. Beneath the bubbling, beneath all of this, bubbling under the surface is a violent spiritual battle threatening to crush us Where there's reconciliation the threat of division and estrangement where there's harmony There is the threat of discord where there is peace Violence abounds where there is beautiful diversity. Let there be hegemony and oppression Where there's purity and holiness let there be rage thievery rape and murder this is reality. We see it on the news every day, right? I can't watch the local news anymore right. because just it's ten examples of shooting and murders, right? That's the news. And Paul is speaking about the devil's schemes. We remember he brought up the devil from two, 2 and in uh, chapter two verse two and chapter four verse twenty four. The devil and the principalities and powers the rulers, the authorities, the dark forces, the spiritual forces of darkness under his command. And all of a sudden, our households of blessing and our households of peace that we've been talking about give way to evil forces at work to destroy new creation. And we got to get real with the powers around us, right? we got to get real with evil. And I think one, uh, one fault of Christians or the church is kind of buying into the happy-go-lucky, it's all good, mm. right? The precious moments of Christianity, the hallmark moments. Oh, happy are we, right? Happy, I'm so, it's such a pleasant day and pleasant time. Uh, and kind of be naive and ignorant of what's actually going on out there. Right, and evil and the bad—they love this this type of Christianity because it's like, oh, right? They're irrelevant. They're not gonna. We're not even gonna call them in Red Rover, Red Rover, right? (laughs) Because it's like, just let them stand at the end of the line there. They're they're the they're the weak link to be broken, right? Just oblivious, oblivious to what's going on there. Disconnected from the world. Just let's go into our safe haven of a church and sit in our pews and be happy and sing praise songs and be like, when I die, right, God is gonna come and take me home. Um, that's one side. The other side is like angry against the world with a sword swinging away, destroying everything around you, right? Angry Christian. This is where I I come in, right? <laughs> Most of my life is like, angry Christian, ah, oppression, that's the man down with the patriarchy! Ah, racism, boom, 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 I'm gonna do it on my own, I'm the bombardier, Red Rover send me over! Ah. Right? And it's interesting, it's really interesting, Verse 10, if you look at the first verse again, Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Right? There's two things there. You need to stand firm and be strong because there is opposition. There is darkness. It is going to be hard out there. So you need to stand firm. You need to take up the full armor of God you need to stand firm. There's a kind of an active, right? It's not a passive thing. It's calling us into activeness, right? Stand firm. But the flip side of that is in the Lord and his mighty power. In your power? No. and God's power. His mighty power. Right? And... Um, there's kind of a, a appropriate relationship there, right? The appropriate, like both we do things because we are empowered by God, and at the t- same time, uh, we're co-workers with God, we're co-partners with God. Like we, we actively need to take up the full armor of God. We actively need to brace ourselves and stand firm We actively need to be self-aware, not naive, but aware of our surroundings and the wiles of Satan. It says that stand against the devil's scheme, right? The devil be smart. And we, we have to understand the powers of the dark world because if we don't understand it, it's gonna take you out. And there's three things I wanna point out. The powers have great power, right? Power over the forces of evil, power over the structures of our land, of society, of the government, over money, over all of these things. Do you remember in Luke when Jesus was tempted by Satan 40 days in the wilderness? What does Satan offer him? Mm -hmm. I will offer you all of the kingdoms of the world, right? Satan had the power, really? Ultimately, it belongs to God, right? The rulers and the authorities. But in the moment, Satan's like, I can give you this and if you just bow to me. Right? Did God really say the snake in the garden? Right? These dark powers have great power. Secondly, the powers are evil. <laughs> right? Power in and of itself, I think, is neutral. Right? You can use power. With great responsibility, Better, great power comes great responsibility. You can use power for good, or you can use power for destruction. But the powers that Paul is talking about is not a neutral power, but an evil power. These are forces, these powers are used for destruction, to tear down what God has built up. And then finally, we know this by. Paul talking about the devil's schemes that evil. these evil forces are strategic and intelligent. It's smart evil, right? Smart evil. It's kind of like when you go home for Thanksgiving or the Christmas holidays with your family members, right? And they just push buttons and you push their buttons, right? It's like, why do I get so angry and pissed off when I'm with family? It's because we know the strategic points, right? To push, right? The push—we know how to push the buttons. And so, my mom or my brother know exactly what to say, right? My mom just knows exactly what to say about my weight, right? <laughs> that will just send me over the top. You don't love me for who I am. I'm beautiful. Why are you You never say anything about that. Right? Those buttons, you know. And I know what to say, you know, to push the buttons of my siblings, knowing that I'm the favorite child. (laughs) Yes, it's great to follow the footsteps of the pastorate with us as Dan, to pursue God's calling. Not the other things like making money or art. (laughs) My dad's like, yes, good son. I wish you were first son, not second son. (laughs) We know how to push those buttons. And Satan is a schemer. It's the same way, right? He knows how to push our buttons. What are our weak spots? What are the things we've struggled with in the past? What are our wounds that are still wincing? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're still bandaged up, right? They're still healing, or they're scabbed over, and Satan's like, ooh, what happens if I just tear this a little? What's gonna happen? Or corporately, as a church, right? We're new, we're in a honeymoon period, right? We're a new church, a a lot of new people coming in. We love each other. We like each other. But what happens over time, you know? You add a little, Satan mix in a little this, put a little power, struggle there, right? A little conflict about the carpet and what color the walls will be. (laughs) Right? I don't know about that. I don't know about that worship song. What about that worship song? Was that too soon? (laughs) I don't know about that Paul guy leading worship. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, smart evil, strategic. A question, I mean, for me, the question arises. Because I'm not a big, like, exorcist, demonic, let's cast out demons. I've been in prayer times where demons have been cast out. I've seen you know, very charismatic examples of prayer. And I've been in other countries where it seems like the spiritual spiritual warfare is way more visible and tangible, right? And so the question is, are these personal demons, are these powers that Paul is referring to, are they personal demons, right? Like spirits of the occult in those days, right? That uh, the people of God, when they became Christians, they threw away the idols, of the cults that they were a part of. They burned different idols, they burned, right, they were a part, they used to be a part of ceremonies where uh, they conjure up spirits, you know, evil spirits and spirits of the gods and whatnot. And so there was a lot of that uh, more present and more kind of readily available than maybe we, you know, in the United States and Western culture are used to. Are they these types of real personal demons, spiritual spiritual powers that need to be exercised from the community, exercised from individuals? Or are they more about what modern day commentators uh, have been arguing structures of thought born out of culture, tradition? Are they the civic powers? Is this about institutional evil, economic, social, and political forces? Evil that takes the shape of government, society, but no one person is responsible and that's why that evil is so heinous because an individual can say, I'm not racist, I'm not sexist, I'm not doing this, I didn't steal land from the Native Americans, I didn't do this, I didn't do that because it's a systemic evil. It's it's when collectively society and its trends and its patterns and the power and how we use power becomes an entity in and of itself, a force of evil because it's collectively put together. Is that the type of powers and dark spiritual forces that Paul is talking about? And I'd say yes and yes, right? The devil is smart Just as God can use systems and institutions, right, and governments and leaders uh, to shape the world for good. And just as God can use the Holy Spirit to come in to an individual and give gifts, very tangible, charismatic gifts of tongues or interpretation or healing or prophecy, right? I think Satan has those abilities as well to be both personal, right, using demons to affect people. But also, I think the most strategic thing is that he uses governments and institutions and social society and traditions and authorities and laws, right, to bring about evil into the world. Are you with me, church? Yes. yes. And sometimes that's even harder to feel like we can fight against. Right. There's one uh, guy who uh, named Carl Ellis, Dr. Carl Ellis, who talks about uh, kind of social righteousness. um, And he puts everything. He put uh, a righteousness into quadrants. And uh, like if you take this side of the quadrant, it'd be personal and communal. Right. And then the vertical would be piety and justice, right? So over here would be social justice on this side. Uh, Personal piety would be the opposite extreme. Mm -hmm. So in the church, we need all of these things, but oftentimes in kind of discussions around race, right? We miss each other because some people are in the personal piety quadrant of -hmm. things, talking about just personal, personal sin, like I'm prejudiced, I'm a bigot, I'm prejudiced against that race, right? I'm not, right? I'm doing good, I'm going to church, I'm praying. That's like the personal piety. Over here is the social justice, right? And here's the African American gentleman that's saying, but it's, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what we have to deal with every day. And we experience this not only in the church, but in our neighborhood, with the police, with everything. And do you see how the conversation doesn't meet because you're in different quadrants in that conversation? Does that make sense? Yeah. It's personal righteousness versus social kind of institutional. And I think that's where the uh, Paul or the preacher can talk about when Paul says, "Stand firm and be alert. Don't be naive. Take on the full armor of God." There's a shrewdness and a, uh, a self-awareness and a society awareness that he's also calling us to, right? Not just our own personal piety, but a social kind of piety, a social justice, a social orientation that yes, the principles, the principalities, and the powers and the spiritual darknesses of the of the of the world—they are institutional. They are enmeshed with society. They are enmeshed in culture, they're enmeshed in the government, they're enmeshed in our immigration laws or the way different countries, you know, deal with one another or wars and the rumors of wars. There's there's stuff out there that we can't be silent about, I think. What's another thing that's become an institutional sin and that's reared its ugly head? I think like the quintessential is white supremacy. White supremacy is something that's kind of gathered over history, over the years. No one knows where it started, who's like, even if you're a part of it, right? You can be kind of a little bit a part of it, but not even know. Right? You can just be a part of the, the machine that's working. But Paul is saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take your stand. Church, take your stand. And this is where we connect with Advent. As things are pregnant as Advent is a journey of pregnancy, pregnant anticipation of the coming Christ, what do we do to prepare? What do we do in the waiting? We don't passively like be like jellyfish, going with the tides, but we stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. We prepare and we are woke we are woke. God is calling a church that is woke, (coughs) right? That is aware of the sins out there. That's aware of institutional sin. That's aware of oppression and injustice. That's aware of how Satan is working to divide people and not unite them. Are you with me, church? We need to come into those places and be warriors. Be warriors and say, no, there's a different way. No, bring together, don't tear apart. No, empower, uplift, encourage. Don't tear down, step on, and oppress. No, no. We need to get in there and be involved. We need to get in there and be brave. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. We have truth. If I don't have this belt, my pants are going to fall down. If you don't have God's truth, Everything falls apart, right? right? Truth holds us together. Right. The breastplate of righteousness. I'll talk about, someone else can talk about that. Um, <laughs> be righteous. <laughs> and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Amen. Right? Christ is our peace. That's the good news. We're wearing the feet. Our feet are. That that represents readiness, right? Ready to go anywhere into any situation and speak peace into that situation. Speak life into that situation. Not divisiveness, not tear down, right? Not demonizing the other, but coming in and saying, Jesus loves us. He came to break down the walls of hostility, the dividing walls of hostility so that the two become one. Come together. Be reconciled. The gospel of peace, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. Right? Because Satan is strategic, he knows you and he's coming after you. Uh, he's got his, he's gonna be like boom, 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 boom. What? What's gonna take down Pastor Sim? His short man's disease, right? So just disrespect him here. Make it sound like people are disrespecting him. And he's gonna be like, my precious, and like crumble. the shield of faith uh, which can extinguish the flaming arrows take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and the sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon in this arsenal everything else is defensive right so the sword of the spirit which is the word of God but we know that the word of God and the gospel of peace are similar things. Even the sword is um, a weapon for peace. Right, we are to go right on the offensive in order to create peace, right? Create goodness and righteousness and justice wherever we go. Amen. <laughs> and finally, prayer. And maybe this is actually the final weapon. Maybe this is the weapon, Mm. right? Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We need to pray more, right? What does it look like to be ready to stand firm and prepare? What does it look like to be woke in this Advent season, to be engaged on the journey? It's to pray. Where do we get discernment? Through prayer, Right? Where do we make, see change happen through prayer? Where can we see God turn the tables in a situation and make bad things good? Where can we, where do we speak truth into a place and Satan's minions scatter and run away? Right? When I'm struggling with something and I've struggled with it for 20 years, over and over and over the same patterns, what is gonna get rid of that? Right? Prayer. Yes. Right? Consistent, constant prayer. And not just indiv- prayer, individuals praying, right. but churches praying, yes. corporately, community. And I, my hope and my prayer has been that Renew would be a movement of prayer. There would be a movement of prayer and renew. I can't do that. Right? <laughs> when we first started Renew, we had like Wednesday night prayer at 6 p.m. Like, I came, I came. You know, it'd be like me, alone, alone, maybe one other person. And finally, I just gave up, right? Can't will it to happen. It just, a a match just needs to be lit by the Holy Spirit. And we need to become a people of prayer, a people who are like, we want to see change in the world. We want to see renewal in our own lives and renewal in our neighborhoods and the people around us. We want to see renewal, amen? Amen. Renewal and change. I don't want to just come to church. I grew up at PK. I don't want to just come to church, right? Waiting for it to get out so I can watch football, right? We want to come here to be the community of faith where God is doing amazingly powerful things, right? I think it's the writer who wrote, We want to come to church, we should be wearing helmets, right? Ready for the Holy Spirit to just blow us away, right? And not just be shifting our weight from cheek to cheek because the pews are hard. <laughs> Amen? Amen? All right, prayer. It's not a party out there, it's not tea and cupcakes, it's a war. And we need to be shrewd. Right? And with it. And woke. And prepared. So take on the armor of God. And pray together. There's an army rising. Amen? Amen? Amen. There's an army rising in this place. The army of God. And, you know... I struggle myself with uh, kind of war language and imagery in scripture, just because I guess I'm a pacifist. I've never said that, um, but it's important to know the enemy—that there is an enemy. Right. Otherwise, you can be taken out, right? And there's a great, great quote in the movie Crash. Right? It says, "In L.A., we don't people don't touch each other anymore." And sometimes you got to touch each other to know that you exist. You, you just want to crash into each other. And we need to like come against our enemies just to know who we are and who, whose we are. So rise up and let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. As the children come in, thank you so much for this body, for this community. Uh, for everything that you've done to bring us together in this place. It's a miracle. Only you can do it. And we want to be a church that's submitted to the headship of Jesus Christ um, to be under your banner. Um, Not just to gather and sing happy songs uh, around a campfire, but to then go out and be ambassadors of your gospel, the gospel of peace, uh, to carry the, uh, the sword of the Spirit with us not in an imperialistic, takeover way, but in a way uh, that lifts up the poor, that helps the weak, that takes down uh, institutions of evil for the sake of your gospel. Help us to speak truth where we're needed and bring light into situations of darkness. Give us courage Prepare us, gird us up. Mm. In your name we pray, amen.